Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Level Up, the esports and gaming show with me, Nathan Bliss, esports and game writer at Reach PLC. In this week's episode, I was joined by Britain's first professional gamer, Sue Joy Roy, who became one of the best players in the world on first-person shooter game Quake some 20 years ago. We talked about his journey from banking to esports, what it was like as a professional gamer all those years ago without YouTube and Twitch, his early TV appearances, how esports has evolved over the years, the future of esports, and his new venture at esports betting company, Midnight. Enjoy. How are you doing, Sue Joy? Hi, Nathan. Doing doing well. Well, well as I could be. I suppose as a gamer, I'm perfectly suited to lockdown. So I'm managing. Yeah. yeah. So let's get right into it then. You're Britain's first professional gamer or esports player, as I suppose you'll, you'll be known now. Just tell me about how you became known as Britain's first professional gamer. Wow. So this is a long time ago and, and long enough ago that esports was not a word when I started. I think the first way I was described was uh, a cyber athlete, because back then it was the Cyber Athlete Professional League. And this was the previous millennium, could you believe? Um, so esports has been around a while, but it was totally different when I was uh, trying to build a career. And I just left university, uh, quit a job at a bank, which was uh, great for getting headlines, actually. Uh, It got me into the news because I quit a Wall Street job to become a professional gamer. But it was something I'd always, I'd always adored, something I'd always wanted to do. And this was just 2000, we're talking 20 years ago now, where it suddenly became possible to travel around the world and become Uh, a professional video gamer who represented brands and played in tournaments around the world trying to make a name for themselves as as is quite normal today. But back then it was just a massive novelty to be able to do that. What was the reaction from from your family when you decided to quit JP Morgan and kind of chase your dream? Uh, well, this is a radio podcast, because so you can't see me. But uh, my background is I'm uh, my parents immigrated to the UK from India, so uh, I'm a second generation immigrant. My parents were very uh, keen on me to study and get a good job, but at the same time. They were also, uh, they quit their job to become photographers. So I had a bit of slack. I wasn't uh, under the thumb all the time to just con- constantly try and get a better job. They understood that it wasn't for me, this this corporate career. And I wanted to do what I loved and what I was one of the best in the world. How many things, how many, how many people can say they're world-class at something? This was my opportunity to go out there and prove I was world-class at video games. Um, so, so yeah, it, it was um, an incredible time, uh, an incredible opportunity for me. And the reaction was interesting. I, I suppose nobody understood it back then. I, I think even today, people don't really understand professional video gaming. 
So uh, back then, you can imagine the headlines I was getting. Uh, I was on the big breakfast once with Johnny Vaughan, who was exclaiming, how, uh, how can you be paid to do that? <laughs> and uh, constantly on the newspapers, magazines, radio, it was a, a big story at the time because I'd go around talking about how becoming a professional video gamer was was a career. Uh, today, it's it's more normal. I think you've heard of hundreds of professional video gamers and you see them all the time. Um, but that was the start of it 20 years ago. Let's talk about that video in more detail because it is available on YouTube for people to watch if they want to. So you were on The Big Breakfast with Johnny Vaughan and you were part of a segment called I Can't Believe You Get Paid For That. <laughs> and you are just sitting there kind of explaining that this is a real profession, that I'm earning money, I've got sponsorship. And Johnny Vaughan's face is just very like... I don't understand. And then <laughs> and then there's this weird moment where they want to kind of feel like they're getting it. And then he turns to the, the crew and asks their opinion on what console you should be playing the game that you're the professional on, which is a weird moment. And you had to kind of say, no, you need to play with the keyboard and mouse. And they were quite... It was a weird moment, where wasn't it, where they were kind of trying to say how you should play the game that you're a professional at. It was a bit of a weird moment, that. Oh, well... <laughs> Okay, that that was give give um give me some credit here. That was my first ever appearance on live TV. I was petrified. Johnny Vaughan's obviously quite intimidating. You know, he can uh, he can talk for himself, and uh, yeah, they didn't quite get it. But I think if I had the experience I had today, I could push you know certain aspects of it. Things I want to talk about, like how. The, the skills you learn as a video gamer are valuable skills for real life. Um, they're things you use every day in your job, in your, in your, with your uh, relationships in your life. There's so many valuable things you learn from video gaming that I would love to talk about and how they make you a more rounded person. But obviously you don't get to that. You get down to the, how ridiculous it is. He's got his crowd behind the camera cheering him on and everything. Uh, I could probably have handled that better. But if you watch my later interviews, I did better as I, as I got more experience. I thought considering, obviously, Johnny Vaughan, like you said, I thought you handled yourself really well, actually. Looking back, I think you're a bit hard on yourself there because you did say, you know, there are prizes for these things. It's not like, you know, it's, it's I'm just sitting around doing nothing. I'm practicing and they were having a bit of fun, but I think you handled it brilliantly. Well, thank you. I, I, think, I think gamers today, though, do get uh, that head start where they don't have to explain why it is they're doing this. It's understood that there are millions of people watching esports now, and I'm one of them. I I sit and watch it every evening instead of TV. I watch (laughs) esports as uh, as my entertainment. You say that, but I mean, when I was trying to explain that I'd started an esports and gaming podcast to my nan, who's mid seventies, she mm. she said oh, I don't get what a podcast is. So <laughs> I didn't want to then go on and explain what esports is about. So there are people still out there that kind of don't really understand. You do get sometimes if I'm talking to people about my job, they say, "Hang on, you're paid to write about esports and gaming." So I can only imagine what it's like for some people as an esports player to kind of explain that you know. So it is still out there. But I think you're right. It is massively changing because obviously esports is a massive thing now. And it depends who you talk to. Let, let's be honest. If you're in circles with with friends your age uh, and you're younger, people will know about this stuff, and it will be understood in your peer groups that hey, you're really good at this game. You might be amazing at Call of Duty, and you can show your friends your your accomplishments, your achievements. And there's so much to play in. There's so many ways to prove yourself now. It, it is an opportunity. It, it didn't. It was never like this before. <laughs> 
Absolutely. So let me go back to the start for a minute. So you're at JP Morgan. What was the thing that made you think, you know what, that's it. I'm just going to, I'm going to try and become a professional gamer now. What, what was the, I mean, obviously you were good back then because you were, I'm guessing you were beating all your friends or you're doing better than all your friends. But I mean, how did you know that you were one of the world's best at that point or didn't you? Uh, I had a pretty good idea. We, we had pretty small community back then of people who were in the top level of Quake. And this was Quake 3 I started playing. That was the game of the era. And there was a tournament that was take, that took place in New York with $10,000 prize money. And that opened my eyes. It made me think, because I used to play it while I was at university and now I had a job. I was thinking, okay, time to quit all that stuff. you gotta you got to grow up now and be an adult. Um, but no, for... Uh, Fate offered me this other opportunity to play in a tournament in New York for $10,000. And, uh, and yeah, it, 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 that was what made me realize there's an opportunity to do something different here. I don't have to stay in the bank and do this miserable job that made me, made me feel awful every day. I could do something I loved. Um, and seeing the kind of media coverage it was getting, seeing the prize money and seeing that this, this tournament organizer had created stops all around the world uh, showed me that, yeah, there were sponsors there, there was money there. And hey, this was my chance to, to get into a whole new career. I, I had to take that opportunity. Talking about sponsorship, I was reading that you had a mouse, didn't you, that was specially designed for you or painted for you that you used to take to every tournament. I mean, were you the first esports player to have proper sponsorship? Is that fair? Uh, I'm sure there were there were players who had some kind of sponsorship, but the the level where I was getting was um, six figures, and and it was really serious. Like the the mouse was, I guess, a PR move. It because what I had was a really uh, extraordinary looking mouse by Razer back then. They were my major sponsor, and I was wondering how do I make this stand out a bit more. I know we'll get a we'll get the union jack painted on it in a stylized way it'll look fantastic i found a, a motorcycle helmet artist who did this incredible work on it and lacquered it and it was just like i still have it i honestly i have this on a shelf in over my mantelpiece and it's it's honestly it reminds me of that whole era that whole time i'm so glad i had it I mean, looking to the world of esports now, you've got, I mean, sponsorship is massive. But back then, I watched a video of you saying that you you actually went to the sponsors and said, will you sponsor me rather than the other way around? So you were quite proactive back then in terms of, you know, seizing the opportunity of how big this could be. Well, they didn't have a program. There, there wasn't a, a case that these sponsors were thinking, we need a pro gamer as well on our books, as you know, to, to mix in with all the other advertising they were doing. It wasn't. It wasn't an opportunity that they had thought of before. So I had to present it all. And I think like that that's something I'm really proud of. It was taking those first steps. And, and one of them was who's covering pro gaming in an era where it hadn't existed before. We didn't have uh, outlets. We didn't have people like you writing about esports. So one of the things I had to do was also set up a media portal where we could talk about the games we were playing, the life we were leading. There were so many things we had to do to get started. Uh, I think people today don't know how lucky they are that they have YouTube, they have Twitch, they have Facebook, they have Twitter. They have so many ways of getting the word out. And they have so many people writing about their exploits, about what's happening in professional leagues uh, and turning it into a sport because... A sport isn't just people playing each other. There has to be that whole infrastructure around it of tournaments, 
of media covering it, ways to watch it. And what makes it interesting is the rivalry between people. And that takes time to build up. Um, so we're really lucky to be at this point where if you're great at games, you can get on, you can get onto a tournament, you can get onto this uh, ranking and build yourself up and try and be one of the best in the world, try and become a professional. There is that ladder there for you to climb if you're good enough for video games. So what year are we talking here when you started being a professional gamer? What year are we talking? So I was at university uh, in 96 when Quake 1 was launched. And that's when I realized that was good because there was world rankings and I managed to get to the number one spot in that ranking. Um, That was 1996. I didn't become a professional until about 1999. Um, and it lasted about three years until uh, the world was a weird place back then. If you remember, there was the dot-com bubble crash. Uh, all the investment money that was going into technology suddenly disappeared. So esports has, has been in waves following things like this, like the dot-com bubble crash. So your career was three years. Just what were some of your, kind of your best moments as a professional gamer back then? I think um, I think. First of all, being able to represent gamers, and this is not necessarily competing and winning, just being able to go on TV and say to people, I play video games and I'm really proud of how good I am and here's some of the amazing things I do, here's the people I meet, here's the kind of life I lead. I I was really happy to be able to do that. I feel like it's video gamers are kind of my tribe. I understand people who play video games and I want to represent them and I want other people to appreciate the talents you have as a gamer. That was one thing I really loved being able to do. But in terms of competitions, things like the World Cyber Games, the CPL events where I was um, a Hall of Fame player, um, there were so many times. I, it's it's such a long time ago. I, I wish I'd written a book of all the exploits I got up to. I've forgotten them all by now. Um, but uh, I think this whole this whole series, this whole circuit of going around the world with people who quickly become your friends in these gaming communities was a magical thing to be a part of back when nobody had heard of it before. Then obviously you said about the the dot com crash in the kind of early mm. uh, early millennium. So, uh, you, what did you do after that? What was the next steps? Well, so the dot com crash kind of put paid to the whole media portal site and uh, web advertising had died off. But I I still believed strongly in esports. And what I worked on was I came back to the UK, and I started building a network of gaming centres because I wanted a place for people to call home and. The UK is, is a lot of the culture in the UK is around football, if we're honest. It's about supporting your home team and, and the way sports work is often like that. You have a local team and you, you support them throughout the league. And so I, I worked in the UK to build a network of over 100 gaming centres where we had different competitions going on. Um, but again, I don't think esports really took off until we saw Twitch come into popularity where people could broadcast themselves. That's what we were missing. We were missing that last bit of technology that lets everybody watch esports if they want to do it. And Twitch came along and changed absolutely everything. People, how did they watch the events and stuff? 
with a lot of difficulty. You had to be a, a bit of a technology genius to tune in to the live stream because it, it required a lot of finessing. Um, people did make videos, but we didn't have YouTube. So distributing those videos was a nightmare. Uh, there was radio broadcast. That's all we had. So the commentators of the era, and we're talking uh, 15 years ago, up to about 15 years ago, were just broadcasting on radio. And I say just, but they they built amazing careers off the back of that. And there are people who commentate today who started in, in that era who are still going today because they, they, you know, they've built a name for themselves and they found a way to present esports that, that makes it exciting for everyone. Well, that was the medium, wasn't it, back then? There wasn't kind of smartphones. These, like you said, there wasn't YouTube or anything. But, I mean, it just seems like such a long time ago. Well, you're saying YouTube didn't exist. It's, it <laughs> sounds weird, doesn't it? I can't remember but... it. Yeah, I mean, thinking of not having YouTube is such a weird thing because it just seems like a massive part. And obviously Twitch as well, which is, like you said, a massive platform that gives gamers the chance to broadcast and it doesn't cost them anything to do it well before twitch came along we were at we were at the mercy of tv controllers and we were always hoping somebody on the bbc or or another channel would put us on that's what we were hope we were desperately hoping for because how does anyone watch it otherwise but then we realized it's not it's not for tv this is um what twitch does is democratizes it or Everybody can broadcast and the audience decide what they want to watch. And what happened was the audience decided they want to watch esports and they want to watch good gamers and they want to watch these uh, personalities and influencers. This this stuff is popular and uh, we needed Twitch to actually show us it, how popular it was. After the dot-com crash and you started building the data centers, like you said, the media centers, did you think... Uh, you know what, I'm going to give this another go and try a different eSport or what was your kind of thinking there? Uh, you well, clearly got the talent for it. I've got to say, yeah, every time someone says, oh, you're getting a bit old for this, I, I, I just, ah, I hate that. I absolutely hate the idea that I'm too old for it. I probably am not going to be as quick as I was when I was younger. But I think I still believe in myself. I'm so competitive. I have to be very careful when I play games with friends uh, it, for, for risk of losing them. Um, the, <laughs> <laughs> but the real issue is that my game was Quake, which is this style of FPS game. So like Call of Duty, like Fortnite, that view where you're looking, well, not like Fortnite, but looking first person through the eyes of your player. Um, but Quake is just an action game. It's not these set pieces that you'd see in Call of Duty where one team has to defeat the other team. It's all in action all the time, nonstop. Uh, and unfortunately, that kind of game is not as popular. Um, Counter-Strike came along after Quake and took over the mantle of the leading esport for a long time. Uh, and then after that, we've got game. We've got the MOBA games, which have suddenly suddenly sprung up. Dota, League of Legends, and so on. And those are massive games as well. But none of them are my game. It's 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 frustrating because none of them are my game. Um, but having said that, the kids who play Quake now, I call them kids, they're not that young, but the, the young people who play Quake now, they're just spectacular. I probably couldn't keep up with them. I, I've seen I've seen a few of them on stage and they're incredible. Don't you just think, though, or 
I could I could take one of them. Sure, like don't you watch it and think, oh, you should have done that, or do you still have that kind of feeling where you think, yeah? I of course I do. It's 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 like being a fan of sport. I think you can be a sideline commentator even if you're not as good as the, the players you're criticizing. Um yeah, I doubt I'll be top tier, but I hold my own in our in our workplace games. Well, yeah, I was going to say that's probably a given, isn't it? Surely, given your background. <laughs> Let's look ahead to like you, you mentioned some of the more popular esports now in terms of Fortnite and League of Legends, Counter Strike, Dota 2, for example. And we've seen Valorant released over the cast of 12 months or so. What do you think is kind of the next big thing in esports? What do you think will be the next thing to, to push it forward? Well, we definitely see a divide in esports. There are the what we consider the elite or the hardcore esports, which are Counter-Strike, League of Legends, Dota, and Call of Duty is quickly becoming a big esport, especially for us at midnight. Um, but I don't know what the next big thing will be. Valorant is, a, is an excellent try to... Kind of, it's, it, Valorant topples is meant to topple Overwatch and Counter-Strike. It's a bit of a mix of those two. But Counter-Strike's been around forever. I think it's going to be tough for Valorant. If anyone could do it, Riot, who are this massive company who built League of Legends, and sometimes they say they invented esports because really League of Legends turned es- was was the game that that you know flipped from uh, game to esport. And if anyone's going to do it, Riot have the power. Um, it's going to be tough though because Counter Strike is a stubborn beast, and it, I don't think it's going to be overtaken so easily. Um, but those are the elite esports. But there are so many other games that could quickly become popular as a spectator sport as well. And we see Rocket League, for example, being very popular. FIFA is just a massive game. It's not always brought in massive amounts of viewers because people just love the game and want to play it. And if they want to watch it, they probably want to watch real football. That's always the argument. But we're definitely seeing massive growth in in what I'd call esports, people watching FIFA because they enjoy the competition between two players. Uh, we're definitely seeing more activity um, in all of these games. Call of Duty, though, is the one that stands out to me. It's just so popular in the UK and we see so much activity in esports, people playing for small competitions and bigger ones. Um, I think there's a bright future for all of these games. You said earlier something really interesting as well about how people follow their local team. Uh, anyway, in it, kind of 15 years ago, anyway, we're talking, people kind of follow their own team or their local team. But in recent years, it's been argued, especially in football, that younger fans now are following specific players rather than a team. So the, the way of being a football fan is kind of changing slightly. And do you think that's very similar with esports as well? Like we're seeing, obviously, the techs got a massive following and then you're seeing the individual streamers having their own massive following is that the future of esports where it's not specific teams but it's the the players that really get all the attention we're definitely seeing that change uh it didn't used to be we 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 didn't used to have so much information about players uh and with the change in social media you can find out what your favorite player had for breakfast in the morning and maybe that determines how well they're going to play it's definitely personality driven now and if you're going to be a pro gamer you kind of have to build this cult of personality around yourself uh and this this is all part of being a professional gamer now you you have to have the whole package um because it's not enough to just play well you, you want to attract an audience. You want a fan base because 
teams still need to make money and it's not just off prizes. You need to sell their merch. You need to build a fan base. You need to have people following you for anything, everything else to work. Um, there's definitely a cult of personality creeping into esports very quickly. Do you think that you were born with this ability to play Quake at a world-class level or do you think that your hours and hours of practice and playing it was the real differentiator or do you think there's somewhere in between? Uh, I think there's somewhere somewhere in between. There's some people who you try and teach video games to, I, I don't know if you've done it, where they're just hopeless and they don't get it. Some, some people just don't have the... I don't know, something in their brain doesn't let them play video games to the same level. Um, but what I would say is on the, on the flip side, there are certain people who are just so gifted and you see this in all walks of life. Some people are just prodigies at a certain talent, whether it's football, uh, tennis, or it's a video game and you just can't explain it. They just sit. I've seen people sit at a, at a video game and do incredible things without even trying. And it makes me very jealous for me. I had to work at it constantly. And I think it's my competitive nature. I never want to give up when I see a challenge that drove me to be good at this, but it also sucked up so much time. And I, yeah, I'm jealous of the people who have that natural talent. But my talent is the determination, maybe. I don't know. Everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. That was, that was mine. That's an interesting point, though, because most people think esports, okay, you're good at a game and that's it. You just play the game, you play it well and you win. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? Because it's the mentality of the competition. You're in a competition environment against other people. There's pressure on you. There's expectation. And like you said, there's a lot of you want to win. How much is the mentality side of things as opposed to the talent having the right mentality to be the the elite player well you'd be shocked at how little how good you are matters sometimes it's it's something i see in esports all the time this what's this is what makes it exciting when you watch a match uh, on online um it depends obviously if it's individuals it's just you focusing against another player but even that is even if it's a head-to-head -head in FIFA, you're always trying to work out the angle. Where's your strength compared to this player? Where can you uh, outwit them? Where can you play to your strengths and their weaknesses? It's it's a constant strategic battle. And that's what's interesting in esports because that everyone's really, really good at the skills when you get to the top. When you're in a final of a major competition, everyone's got the skills, the mechanical talent to play. So what differentiates them is, first of all, their desire to win, how much they know about the other player, what their, what strategy they've determined beforehand, and how you uh, you play during the game. How do you, how do you like take each move to, to, to beat the other player? And when you get into team games, it's another level because communication is actually one of the key parts of any team game. Um, and the mechanical skill and the talent and the reactions really take a back seat when you've got a team game because there's so much going on. There's so much to improve on in terms of communication and how you work together that that becomes the differentiator between teams. And you see this personality build up. This is why these teams have fan bases because they play a certain style and there are certain things they're brilliant at. And as a fan, you, you, you're looking for those opportunities for your team to win. When you sit and think about some of the points you've just made there, it's not that surprising though, is it? Because in traditional sports, if you can call it traditional sports now, this best team doesn't always win. 
there's a number of different factors at play in the world of esports. That's exactly the same situation. Absolutely. It's, it's the same pressure. Um, some of these competitions have an insane amount of prize money. The International last year, I believe it was over $30 million of prize money. See, I forget how much prize money is such a big number, but it was over $30 million. Imagine the pressure in the final round, um, you know, playing for that massive amount of prize money that's gonna that's gonna weigh on your mind <laughs> just on prize money i just want to mention i did have a look on that youtube video that i was discussing earlier the big breakfast and channel 5 news this is joy roy the first comment if you have a look on the youtube video is putting your quote in quotation marks and saying i can see a six figure seven figure prize money in the next few years yeah, no. <laughs> uh, and that was 10 years ago. I mean, that that video, I'm guessing, was recorded longer than 10 years ago? Uh, the recording was, would have been early 2000s. So even so, yeah. as early as 10 years ago, at the start of this you know, century, people would still thinking that esports hasn't got a big future in terms of prize money. But obviously, we're seeing now the the Fortnite World Cup that obviously put esports in the mainstream, where the BBC and Sky News are all going on about how this young eighteen year old or sixteen year old, I can't remember, Boogers won this massive tournament mm-hmm. and won millions of pounds. But it's very much a reality now. Yeah, it absolutely is. And and like, if if you don't watch football. You'd probably be bemused when someone says the the salary, how many, how much these players earn a week, because it's only interesting when you realise that so many people idolise these great players. That you know, people uh, was it Boogie who won um, the the Fortnite singles? Oh, the I've World Cup, forgotten. yeah, the singles. Yeah, um, yeah, he, yeah, they, um, their talents are extraordinary, and people <laughs> admire them and idolise them. So it, it's it's not surprising that they earn a massive amount of money they can win a massive amount of money for something that's so important to so many people and the same is true of football the reason why footballers who earn a lot do is because they've got so many fans then they play such a pivotal role in the game exactly it's the argument isn't it where if you if you were to meet someone who's not interested in esports and then say oh it's not really a sport is it well and then you explain how much the players earn they only earn that much because there's the amount of interest in it it's a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy isn't it the bigger the esports get the more players are going to be paid that's the nice thing i don't feel like we have to defend ourselves anymore the numbers speak for themselves <laughs> absolutely just talk about what you do now then sujo what what do you do now with you with your time Okay, I've actually, um, this year I've joined a company called Midnight, and this is a bit more controversial because it's esports betting, and I I don't know, actually, because this is a UK show, so in the UK we do understand betting, we understand it's part of sport, and a lot of people place bets on on a football match or on a tennis match and so on, so it's it's not outrageous that betting has come to esports it, it, it was always going to happen but it just it just shows how um how how solid the structure of esports is that this can work and we don't get uh, match fixing problems and we don't get the massive scandals because um yeah e- esports betting is the new thing it, it's it sound again it's one of these things that will sound surprising if you don't watch esports you'd be shocked that anyone would want to place a bet but for me when i see the community of esports fans who follow their favorite teams who know everything about them who've studied the matchups between two opponents and and want to place a bet that makes total sense to me i think it's still surprising though if you if you don't follow esports um, but we've just seen this massive 
surge in, in betting around the world and obviously in the UK. Uh, and that's what I work on now. I work for an esports betting company to uh, to work on that. Every time you we speak about kind of esports and then kind of link it to traditional kind of values where sports concerned, you're going to get a bit of a bit of friction there. But I mean, it's only natural, isn't it, for for esports to go that way because it's just getting bigger and bigger every year, and we're going to see massive growth. So it's not really surprising to me, but maybe to some of our listeners, it might be surprising. But um, yeah, it's well during during lockdown. Remember when? Uh, so when there were no football matches. That's actually when we suddenly saw this surge of people betting on esports because there was nothing else to bet on. Um, so, so it was a weird time when there were no sports, and then the bookies just filled up uh, the markets with esports games, and people still want to bet on them um, because I think this is this is what I've really enjoyed is that a whole new audience of people who don't watch esports that much suddenly realised that there's a great show on. There's a great show showing FIFA. There's a great show with Call of Duty or Counter-Strike or League of Legends. And when you tune in, you realize there's a lot going on here. There's there's backstory. There's these rivalries. There's this interesting confrontation between two history teams going on that the commentators will speak for an hour about before the game starts. And I, I just really love that so many people who maybe never watched this before tuned into esports broadcasts and they're still watching. Now, now even now sports have started, we're still seeing this whole new wave of people who didn't think esports was a sport tuning in to the shows. Yeah, and obviously it's been a, a very difficult time for everyone over the past couple of months. We were in a, a pandemic at the moment, but one of the very small kind of positives that have come out of it for me, especially in my role, is like you said, people watching esports because there's been nothing else on. There's been more awareness about it. There's people been getting involved in it when you wouldn't normally see it, and it has pushed it on a bit further, uh, maybe further in terms of a year where it would have been previously. So that is one of the few positives from that have come out of the kind of last few months. And it's been really good to see people joining in the conversation, people watching esports, and long may it continue. Yeah, and yeah, with with midnight, I, I just wanted to mention that, like, one thing I really appreciate is the fact that we can feed back some of this money. This this is what betting companies do in esports; they tend to sponsor the teams, uh, and. It's been a problem. I've worked in esports a long time. It's a problem trying to make money from esports. Because now picture this, everything on YouTube is basically free, right? You watch for free. You can, there might be adverts in there and you, you can support channels. Uh, but Twitch is the same. You generally watch for free. So we don't have that subscription model where you generate broadcast money for these shows. Uh, it's tricky to make money from an esports event still. There's, there's you know, the novelty effect and there are certain big sponsors who are quite happy to put their name alongside this, you know, young vibrant digital sport that's that's growing but it's still tricky and and this is where gambling companies can actually help they can actually help to monetize these events so so while i'm not a gambling person i'm quite happy i'm really happy to be working here where we can actually push back marketing money and build the infrastructure of esports and you know we're doing a lot of this in the uk already and you know you'll see midnight around in more events as as we grow and I just wanted to wish you best of luck with that, Sujo. It sounds like a, a decent thing that you're doing there and giving money back to the esports community and the industry as well. It's not it's not uh, linked to threat level midnight, is it, from the US office? Or no, no, that's a different midnight. <laughs> 
yeah. we can't we can't claim them all unfortunately no, no. <laughs> uh so just wanted to say thank you so much for for joining me today sue joy it's been a pleasure to talk to britain's first professional gamer and hear your stories it's been really really interesting and i was just quickly reading that uh, quake never actually got a direct sequel so maybe in the next few years we might see you back on twitch streaming and going up against each other maybe <laughs> I have, it might it might be a whole new generation of game because that's that's the wonderful thing is we don't know what's coming next. It's all the roller coaster ride. But, but we'll be we'll be on the roller coaster ready for whatever happens. And uh, yeah, like you said, it's going to be an exciting next few years. Hopefully, with the next gen consoles and stuff as well. Thanks for your time, Sujo. It's been a pleasure having you on, and uh, best of luck with everything. Where can people find you or uh, look you up online? So on Twitter, I'm Sujo underscore R but I don't post a whole lot there anymore. You can Google me. There's Wikipedia pages and YouTube. There's yeah. the embarrassing YouTube videos you've watched. Yeah, <laughs> so. you can see Sue Joy on YouTube. If you, yeah, just type in Sue Joy Roy and you'll get the, the brilliant Big Breakfast Channel 5 News interview. It's really worth a watch just because it just seems so out of place now, doesn't it? But uh, yeah, it's, you, you definitely hold your own, I will say that. But yeah, thanks a lot for your time, Sue Joy. Really appreciate it and best of luck with everything in the future. Thank you.